0: Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, I pray that we would be humble listeners today. And as we hear it, that we would be encouraged and challenged, and that we would grow up and become more like your son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. At the beginning of my sermon last week, I just this is not part of my sermon, but I, I mentioned, you know, that our TVs were failing, right? And uh, that afternoon, I get a text from somebody, hey, I'd like to go ahead and purchase those TVs for the church. So thank you if you are here today. And uh, for taking care of that I think these are probably 11 or 12 years old and in the next month or so those will be up uh, These these weigh about 300 pounds and so we have to a lift to get them down <laughs> So uh, it's gonna take a little bit but uh, soon we'll have much better uh, visuals here on sunday mornings We are looking at the book of ecclesiastes and I would encourage you to turn in your bibles to that book the book of ecclesiastes and in the first a uh, half of this sermon series we are we are looking at the teacher's case that life is meaningless or the hebrew word is hevel that life is hevel that it's like smoke that it's like vapor that it's here today and then it's gone tomorrow it's outside of our control we can't grasp it we can't manage it uh, everything that we try to do to, to try to make life under our control it just doesn't work and uh, and so the teacher is making his case that Life is heaven, that it's meaningless. And the five pieces of evidence that the teacher brings is, first of all, the reality of time and chance that we looked at the last two weeks. And this week, we're going to look at the reality of evil and suffering. This is what the teacher says about evil and suffering Ecclesiastes 3.16, I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of justice, wickedness was there. And then in chapter 4, verses 1 and 3, he says this, Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. I'd like to ask whoever's up there if you could turn off the two spotlights. It's going to be uh, helpful as we uh, take a look at a couple clips today. I'm going to be showing you a clip right now, and uh, it's from the year 1965 in Selma, Alabama. And the video is a a conversation between a police officer, Deputy Crocker, and a young man, 16 years old, named Jimmy Webb. 16 years old. And Jimmy Webb was leading a small group of marchers to the courthouse lawn, and they are stopped by Deputy Crocker, and they have this conversation.
1: For your, your own benefit, you had better time out and get out of this here. You're not going to the courthouse in a group uh, on the condition that you come here, and I'll assure you that. <laughs> All we would like to do, sir, is to go to the courthouse. Court is closed. Okay. There's we, no know, we, don't, out there. we don't want to go into the courthouse. We do want to go into the, the courthouse. In you take your prayers back to your church. That's a proper place to pray. So I'm sure that I'm sure that God will hear your prayer just as so well down there as it will up here. But you're not going on this courthouse, wrong. So. So, whenever there are men in sinful conditions, where should be? Why don't you pray where you are? Go back down there, and pray. You, you think you you're uh, Lily White? No, you think you're not mm-hmm. sinful? Honey? No, not well, then go back to your church and pray. Well, sir, when you pray together, you and I. You do your prayer I do mine, big boy. You oh, don't pray you, for me. I you. don't want you to pray for well, me. Well, will you pray for us? Because I don't think your prayers get above your head. Well, will you pray for us? No, I'm not going to pray for you. No. I tend to my business, you tend to yours now. You, you got to move these people out of here, sir. Okay. I'm telling you, sir. If I you don't mean. have to love anybody I don't Why? want to love. No, sir. Sir. You do your own loving. You love your little niggas. I love who I please. You do you believe in equal justice for all? I believe in justice. Do you believe in equal? Justice? I don't believe in equal nothing. There's no two people in this world alike, and not, they are not equal on any terms or conditions. There's no two peas in the world alike. No two pieces of money no nothing else. And so are you saying that... If I have a quarter and I'm black and you have a quarter and you're white, then my quarter isn't as worth as much as your That's quarter. That's your quarter. As decide, my quarter is worth? I'll decide what
0: my quarter is worth. You use your life and I use mine. I'm your out here. can yours. In this video, we see a couple things. Uh, we see the reality of evil and injustice. Deputy Crocker, a man with worldly power and authority, refused to allow Webb and the fellow marchers to protest peacefully on the courthouse lawn. And the authorities in Selma viewed their civil rights protests as a threat to their own power. We don't only see that injustice through his actions of refusing to allow them uh, to march on the courthouse lawn, but also through the pride and disdain that Webb. Uh, that he has for Webb and the protesters, Crocker's hatred for Webb is exposed. In this conversation, we see the reality of the suffering from those who are oppressed. Jimmy Webb and his fellow marchers suffered insults and mocking, and they didn't weren't allowed to pray on the courthouse lawn that day. Their oppressors refused to allow them to do that. The oppressor, it seemed, won. And the teacher of Ecclesiastes would watch this video and he would say, look, see, I'm right. In the place of justice, wickedness is there. Power is on the side of the oppressors. The oppressors always get what they want and there is no comfort to speak for those who are oppressed. Here under the sun, those who are in power always win. And those without any power suffer because of it. The book of Ecclesiastes and the rest of the Bible are clear that evil is real. And this is different than what we talked about last week when we talked about chance. Sometimes we do suffer as a result of the perceived randomness of life under the sun. But we also suffer in this world from active evil. The teacher says that the hearts of men are filled with evil, and because of envy, because of their own desires, people actively seek to harm other people. The rest of the Bible teaches us that there is a source of evil, Satan, who is not passive but is active in the world to steal and to kill and to destroy. And there are some times in our world when we see evil erupt in a very clear way, right? We saw it this last week in Las Vegas, this is evil erupting in our world, and the suffering that results from it is right there in front of us, and we can't ignore it. It's right there. We can't pretend that evil doesn't exist. And when we face the, the brutal reality of evil and the suffering that, is caused it, that it causes, there is one question that we always want to ask. What's that question? Why? 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 Does this happen? Why does God allow this to happen? Why does evil exist? This is one of the most common arguments against the existence of God, right? That that those who don't believe in God will use. They will say, God cannot exist, or uh, if God is all powerful and if God is good, then he can't exist, or he's not good, or he's not all powerful. It's one of the three. Either he's not good because he allows it to exist, or maybe he's evil and he does allow it to exist, or he's not there at all. Because evil is in the world. That's how the argument typically goes. Why does suffering happen? This is the question that we ask. Why is this happening to me? God, if you are good, then why would you allow this evil to happen in your world? That's the first question that we tend to ask when we face and see evil in the world. In the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, I've been talking about these three books over the last few weeks. All of them acknowledge the reality of evil, but not a single one of them answer that question, why? They all talk about evil. They all give their own perspective about how we as human beings should respond to the evil in the world. But the wisdom literature never answers the question, why? Why does God allow evil to exist? And so in the face of the reality of evil under the sun, because we don't have any answers to this question, the teacher comes to a particular conclusion. He says this, I declare that the dead who have already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. It's better to be dead and to not see and experience the evil and suffering in our world. In fact, the teacher goes a step further and says, it would have been better to never have been born It's better to never have lived at all than to see and to experience this evil and suffering that exists here under the sun. And all of us at some point in our lives already have or someday will feel that way. Maybe you're feeling that way today. That the pain is just too much to bear. That the facts of evil in your life, what people have done to you or what has happened to you, it's just too hard. What we see in our world and all of the fear that it causes us to have, we, we feel like this. Sometimes it feels like it would just never have been to be, have been better to never have been born at all. We feel the truth of the teacher's words. So, what is the teacher's advice? As the teacher reflects on the reality of evil under the sun, what does he think we should do? Well, in the previous chapter, in chapter three, he does give a little bit of hope. I think. (laughs) Ecclesiastes chapter three, verses 16 and 17. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. And so I thought in my heart, verse 17, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. For there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. He says that we need to look forward to the future and to know that God will bring his justice in his time and in his way. The teacher is resigned to the fact that when it comes to life here under the sun, that there really isn't very much we can do about it. It's a reality, it's it's here, but we can know that God sees, that he judges, and that one day that there will be justice. But in the meantime, each one of us are going to suffer. There's going to be evil. You're going to experience dark days. As he says in chapter 11, however many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him also remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. The teacher tells us that we should enjoy life if we if we can, but evil is here, it is present, it will come to your house just as like it can't comes to anyone else's house in one way or another. And in your life here under the sun, there are going to be times where it feels as if it would have been better if you just never would have been born. I want to remind us. That the teacher is making observations about life under the sun. This book is the very best that human reason and insight can offer to us. The book of Ecclesiastes is brilliant because it reveals the truth to us about life. If we did not believe that God was active and working in our world. But I want to tell you once again today that reality under the sun is not all that there is if all that we have, if all that exists is just what we can see here under the sun, that in the face of evil, the teacher is right, it would have been better if we would have never been born at all. But I wanna tell you today that there is something far, far better. There is something more good and something more true, and something more beautiful. There is a more satisfying conclusion than what the teacher offers to us. The only thing better than never seeing evil is seeing evil being conquered by good. It would be a good thing to never see evil. But the better and more satisfying thing is to see the real ugliness of evil and to watch God transform that into something beautiful. And that is what the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is all about. The good news, the gospel is this that the Son of God took on flesh and entered into our world and experienced all of the evil and suffering of our world. He experienced mockery and insults. He experienced his friends turning his, their backs on him. He experienced slanders and lies against him. People spit on him and despised him. And then he took a cross and was nailed to it. And on that cross, Jesus was victorious over evil. On the cross, Jesus was victorious over evil. In Genesis, one of the first promises that we have is that when the Messiah comes, that the serpent would strike Messiah's heel, but that the Messiah would crush the serpent's head. (laughs)
1: Sina mote, O boy, come up, Prague is a city of Like the girl be the young masha light eye, the mash girl, the light eye. Papa, go the lucky far. luck is far. <laughs> is far.
0: Man, I'm back. It's okay.
1: i wet. Man, I, I live like It's oh, him. Oh, don't say I'm going
0: The serpent will strike Messiah's heel, but Messiah will crush his head. The gospel has some powerful things to say to us about evil. It may be frustrating, but the gospel does not fully answer the why question. Why does God allow evil and suffering? A question is not answered, at least not completely for us in the gospel, but the answer that is fully answered for us by the gospel is the how question. How will God deal with suffering? That question is answered. And as followers of Jesus, how are we called to respond to evil and suffering? That question is also answered. The gospel tells us that God dealt with evil by allowing himself to experience it, to suffer through it, and to endure it without ever turning to evil as a solution. He was willing to drink the cup of suffering. Jesus dealt with evil by facing the full brunt of evil, by experiencing all of the suffering that it causes in his own self. Physical suffering, for sure. The cross, the whippings, all of that. He suffered and experienced all of it. Social abandonment, for sure. His friends all scattered when he was arrested. Spiritual suffering, for sure. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God the Son, feeling as if the Father had abandoned him. God the Father, watching and experiencing his Son suffer. All of it is there. All of the suffering that evil causes is there. He drank the cup of suffering for us. And he endured all of that, suffered all of that, and never once submitted to evil. Never committed any evil. Never used evil for his own ends. And we see that every step of the way, Jesus throughout his life was victorious over evil. The best example in Jesus' life that we can see this is in the temptation of the desert in his life. One of the very first things the gospel writers tell us about Jesus is that Jesus, before his ministry, was sent out into the desert alone where he fasted for 40 days. And Satan came to him, turned his attention toward Jesus, and tempted him in his weakness and in his lack. Right, John? In his weakness, Jesus tempted him. John has recently passed on some... Wonderful insights about fasting and Jesus' fasting in the wilderness. Jesus refused to submit to the temptations of Satan. And the story of Jesus in the desert is meant to be a stark contrast to the failure of Adam and Eve in the garden. When they submitted to evil and became evil themselves by rebelling against God, Adam and Eve are in a garden. An abundant garden, a place of abundance, a place where all of their needs are met and where their bellies are full. And Satan comes and tempts them and they immediately fall to the power of evil. Where Adam failed to have victory, Jesus succeeds. Jesus in the desert, not in a garden. Jesus in the desert, weak from fasting, in his most vulnerable state, was victorious over evil. In his life, Jesus was victorious over evil every step of, his way, of the way. And in his death, Jesus was victorious over evil. If you read the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that over the course of Jesus' ministry, that the forces of evil are training all of their attention on him. At the very beginning of his life, King Herod, what does he uh, tell um, his people to do, his armies to do? He hears about this king that's been born, and so he sends all of his armies to kill all of the children that are born during that time. Then in his temptation in the wilderness, Satan turns his full attention to Jesus. Throughout his ministry, over and over again, he has people who try to kill him. One time a mob tries to throw him off of a cliff. Over and over again, the Jewish leaders plot to kill him. And then Satan himself enters into Judas so that Judas betrays him. Eventually he is arrested and taken to the high priest of Israel, the the highest religious leader of the Jewish people that day, and then to Herod, this counterfeit king, focuses his attention on Jesus. And then he's taken to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, the most powerful empire in the world at this time, has his attention on Jesus. And then the Roman soldiers who mock and torture Jesus, whipping him as the crowds mock him. In the gospel stories from the very beginning, there is this cloud of evil that is growing and surrounding Jesus and focusing all of its attention on Jesus and using all of its powers to try to destroy him. And then on the cross it appears as if those powers won. But that is only from the perspective under the sun. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Colossians about what is actually happening happening beyond the sun. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the resurrection? No, by the cross. Triumphing over them by the cross. What is really happening on the cross is Jesus is disarming them of all of their power, He made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus is exposing on the cross what evil really is. The gospel stories are telling us that while it looks like the Jewish leaders and Herod and Pilate are in control of Jesus, the point is that Jesus is in control the entire time. And that in fact, he is the one winning the victory. Think back to The exchange that we saw between Jimmy Webb and Deputy Crocker. Jimmy Webb, a 16 year old boy, five foot one inches tall, (laughs) standing before a man who had all the power and authority over him, and he refused to exchange insult for insult. Instead, he invited his oppressor into prayer. And when he did that, he exposed the evil in Deputy Crocker's heart. By refusing to exchange insult for insult, violence for violence, Jimmy is an example of what it means to disarm the powers and the authorities. Because as we watch this video 50 years after the fact, it's very clear to us what was going on that day. The powers and the authorities had their way on that day. Jimmy Webb and his friends were refused their civil rights. They didn't pray on the courthouse lawn that day. They were turned away and they were mocked. From the perspective of life under the sun, the power was on the side of the oppressor and the oppressed have no comforter. But as we watch that video today, 50 years later, it's clear to us what is really happening. Jimmy Webb's quiet conviction His refusal to exchange insult for insult exposed that oppression for what it was. And none of us here today watching 50 years later watch that video and see Deputy Crocker as the hero or as the strong one, do we? We see Jimmy Webb as the strong one in that video. Jesus's victory over the cross disarms the powers and authorities, not only in one day in Selma, Alabama in 1965, but for all eternity. Jesus, the Son of God, refused to do evil things in order to overcome evil. Jesus refuses to play by the rules that evil has set for the game, and he wins that victory through silence by telling Peter to put away his sword, by carrying a cross, and then as he hung there and was being nailed to that cross, forgave his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. He allows evil to have its way, and by doing so, exposes evil for what it is, and drains evil of all of its power. And as we look back on that day 2000 years ago, we can see it for what it is. We know who the hero of that story was. It's not Herod or Pontius Pilate or the high priest. It's Jesus. Jesus was uh, victorious over evil in his life and in his death. And of course, in his resurrection, Jesus proves that his death was a victory. Death is the goal of evil. Satan's desire is to steal and to kill and to destroy. And in the resurrection, Jesus shows that he is victorious over death, it has no power over him or anyone who is in him. That is the gospel. That's the gospel. So what should our response be? The teacher's observation is that evil is real, that all men, both good and bad, the righteous and the wicked, the wise and the fool, all people face the reality of evil. We look around our world and in places where there should be righteousness and there are lies, where there should be justice and there is injustice. We see that very clearly in our world. And like the teacher, we do live in hope that in the end, that God will make things right. But because of the gospel, the teacher's hope that in the end, God will make all things right. That is our hope, but it's not our only hope. The gospel tells what God did already to deal with evil. And the gospel also tells us what we are called to do in response to evil. And this is what we need to do in response to evil. first we need to see and to admit that evil is in our own heart. The evil that Jesus died for and was victorious over, over us on the cross was not only out there in all those bad people, in all of the people that I disagree with, the evil is in my own heart. I have been infected with this thing called evil. I have done evil things. I have had evil thoughts. And so our first response to Jesus' death on the cross is to say that that death was because of me and also for me. Part of the evil that Jesus was carrying on that cross, part of the evil that Jesus exposed on that cross is the evil that's in my own heart. And so we confess that. And we claim boldly that Jesus' victory over evil is a victory over the evil in my own heart. His victory over evil makes it possible for the evil in my heart to be forgiven and to set me free so that day by day I do not have to submit to the evil that comes my way. But I can be victorious over it in the power of the spirit that Jesus has given to me. The same spirit that was with Jesus when he was weak in the desert that helped him to overcome the temptation of Satan is the same spirit that lives in you today. You can have victory over these things. Secondly, we need to trust that God is working out evil for his good. He is turning what is false into what is true and what is ugly into what is beautiful. And so in your own life, when you face evil, you can trust that God has a good thing for you in it. Is it possible for you to believe that God has a reason to allow the suffering in your life that you're just not quite smart enough to know yet? I mean, as parents, how often do we in our wisdom and our experience force our kids to do things Or allow them to suffer even for a good reason and god looks on our lives not with only a perspective of the 70 or 80 years that we have here in this world but he looks at our lives from an eternal perspective as a good father he has and desires to do a good thing in us as we face the evil in our lives this past week one of our One of our elders who is going through a a hard time, we laid hands on him and prayed. And before any of us had a chance to pray, he said, thank you for the suffering. Thank you for what you're going to do in it. James 1, 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Where God is at work in it develop perseverance and holiness in us. God is at work in your suffering that you face because evil is real. Now, I want you to notice that he's not telling us that look through these trials because one day, someday later, you're going to go to heaven and everything's going to be okay. He's saying right now, if we allow God to, God will use that suffering and that evil that has come against you in your life for good right now. In this life under the sun, God is using those things to strengthen us. They're developing in us patience and perseverance so that we may live an obedient life to Jesus in the face of the heaven of this life. Third, third thing we must do in response to evil is that we must learn the power of forgiveness. Jesus was victorious over evil because when he was being nailed to the cross, he prayed to his father, Father, have mercy on them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness is one of the most powerful things in the whole world. It reveals God's love, It reveals his grace. When we as a community of people do it together for the sake of others, it is powerful and it bears witness to Jesus. A few years back, when Dylan Roof went into Charleston, South Carolina in a prayer meeting and killed our brothers and sisters in Christ, this is how they responded. AME Church was not just a murder of nine African American worshipers. Like all terrorist attacks, it was an effort to send a message to use violence to sow hate. The shooter left one person alive to bear witness to what he had done. But two days later, at his bond hearing, members of the victim's family stood and one after the other forgave the alleged murderer and prayed for him.
1: You took something very precious away from me. (laughs) I would never talk to her ever again. I would never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. Although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they they lived in love and their legacies will live in love. So, hate won't win. I'm very angry. But one thing pain has always joined in and our family with is that she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive.
0: This is what it looks like to bear witness, to testify. The shooter took life, but he also tried to steal the faith that gives the community its strength. But that cannot be taken. Those calls for forgiveness proved that. They're a tribute to those nine victims and the power of the faith that brought them together on a Wednesday night in June to pray. If we want to be a church that overcomes evil, that is victorious over evil and participates in Jesus' victory over evil, we must learn the power of forgiveness. When we face evil and suffering, we usually ask the question, why? And that's very normal. But the question the Bible calls us to ask when we face evil is not why, but how. How has God dealt with evil? And how is God calling me to respond to the evil that I am facing today? There are places in our world where evil still seems to reign. Where evil still needs to be defeated. Where the good news of the kingdom of God needs to be made known and declared. And we are called, as followers of Jesus, sent into the world to extend Jesus' victory over evil everywhere we go. And that begins in our own hearts when we confess that this evil has infected our own hearts and that we need the forgiveness that is available to us through the cross. When we do that, we are participating in the victory of Jesus over evil. When we overcome temptation and the power of the Spirit, we are participating in Jesus' victory over temptation. When we're confronted with evil and refuse to beat evil by playing by its rules— When we refuse to return evil for evil, then we, as Paul says, are filling up in our own flesh what is lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. We are extending the victory of Jesus over evil into the places in our own lives where evil wants to have the control. When someone else in our life has harmed us, has allowed the evil in their own heart to move out towards us and to hurt us, when we choose to forgive, we are participating in Jesus' victory over evil. The teacher in Ecclesiastes is right. Evil is real and it is heartbreaking to see. It is often more than we can bear. And when we see evil and when we experience it in our lives, there is only one thing that is better than never seeing it at all. And that's being able to watch God turn it into his good. And he is able to do that in your life today. Today, if you have never said, there is evil in my heart, and Jesus, I need you to have victory over it. Today, I invite you to do that. To say, I know that I cannot have victory myself over this evil that's in my life. I invite you today. You can come forward as we sing this next song. Someone will pray with you and talk with you about that. In your relationships with other people, if you are a follower of Christ, in what way are you allowing the evil that is in your heart, perhaps the bitterness that, that Rona talked about earlier that's in our own heart, in what way are you allowing bitterness and unforgiveness to come between you and your relationship with that other person? Who do you need to forgive? And in your life, how can you allow that forgiveness to be a participation in the victory of Jesus over evil? Rona and Linda, you can come on up and lead us in a final song. Our God in heaven, I thank you that you did not simply cover over evil, that you didn't, as we say, sweep it under the rug, but that you dealt with it, that you faced it, that you endured it, and that you drained it of all of its power. And Lord, we trust that each and every day, starting in our own hearts and in the lives of our church and in our community, that you, by your spirit, are calling us to enter into all of these places and to proclaim and to live out your victory over evil. Lord, give us the power by your Spirit to see our life under the sun in this way and to respond to evil in the way that you're calling us to and in the example that you gave us. Amen.